You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. update on the war in Ukraine as Victory Day approaches, activists in the battle space, Raspberry Robin and a USB worm, a carefully operated credential phishing campaign, another ICS security alert from CISA, Dinah Davis from Arctic Wolf on reflection amplification techniques, Carol Terrio examines zero trust architecture access policies, and happy Mother's Day, but do stay safe online. CyberWire Studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, May 6th, 2022. Monday is Russia's Victory Day holiday and an important informational milestone in the special military operation. As such, it would be prudent to expect an 11th-hour surge in Russian cyber and information operations. NSA's Rob Joyce, who heads the agency's cybersecurity directorate, expressed reservations about hacktivists taking an active role in warfare, including the present Russian war against Ukraine. Defense News quotes him as saying Wednesday at Vanderbilt University, I will tell you that the idea of the civil vigilantes joining in a nation-state attack is unwise, right? I really think it is. As you pointed out, it's illegal, but it's also unhelpful, because one of the things we talked about is we're trying to get Russia to take account for the ransomware attacks and hacks that come out of Russia and emanate. Security firm Red Canary is following some malicious activity it's calling Raspberry Robin, which distributes a worm that's often installed via USB drive. This activity cluster relies on msiexec.exe to call out to its infrastructure, often compromised QNAP devices, using HTTP requests that contain a victim's user and device name. Red Canary also observed Raspberry Robin using Tor exit nodes as additional command and control infrastructure. Who the threat actor is and what their objectives are remain obscure. Red Canary said, 
To date, we've observed Raspberry Robin in organizations with ties to technology and manufacturing, though it's not yet clear if there are other links among victims. We have several intelligence gaps around this cluster, including the operator's objectives. While we don't yet have the full picture, we want to share what we know about this activity cluster so far to enrich collective understanding of this threat and empower defenders to identify this activity. Menlo Labs describes a credential phishing campaign that uses malicious HTML attachments in the course of gaining access to corporate networks. The researchers classify the well-automated operation as a highly evasive adaptive threat able to evade many legacy security tools. The lures used are carefully tailored to the targets. Researchers at Menlo Labs say... We believe that the initial HTML attachments are created using a kit to automatically generate these HTML payloads. Menlo Labs researchers spent a significant amount of time looking for the kit, but were ultimately unable to locate it. They're interested in hearing from other researchers who may be able to offer insight. CISA has released an industrial control system security advisory affecting Johnson Controls Metasys. This Sunday is Mother's Day in the U.S. and other jurisdictions where the greeting card company's writ runs, and Trend Micro offers some timely advice on avoiding being scammed in the course of rendering annual honors to Mater. They flag three scam websites in particular and point out that they bear the usual marks of fraud, unusual payment methods like wire transfers, an inappropriate curiosity about personal information, misspellings and non-standard usage, no genuine customer reviews, and the infallible, by this shall ye know the scammer, deal that's too good to be true. So stay safe online. Mom would want that for you. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. 
Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Zero trust remains a hot buzzword in cybersecurity, generating great interest from some and eye rolls from others. Our UK correspondent Carol Terrio takes a closer look at zero trust architecture access policies. A zero trust architecture is an approach where inherent trust in a network is utterly removed. So when you design a new system, instead of assuming that the network is a safe hub, you assume that it's hostile. And this makes sense. Just because you're connected to a network, it doesn't mean that you should be able to access everything on that network. You see, it's common in cybersecurity breaches to see an attacker gain a foothold on a network and then move laterally. So, for example, they might be able to get an employee's username and password and use this as a springboard to access sensitive data or vital services because everyone and everything already on the network has been marked as trusted with access to the rest of the network. In zero-trust architecture, the network is treated as hostile, so every request for data or service access is continually verified against an access policy. So, what of this access policy? According to the National Cybersecurity Center, or the NCSC, zero-trust by design relies on a few elements. One is strong authentication. So this is unique, hard-to-crack passwords, multi-factor authentication, that sort of thing. And then there's authorization. So once a person has been authenticated, what are they allowed to see and do? A third is device health. So this is looking for unpatched vulnerabilities or seeing if defenses are turned off or not present. And perhaps the most interesting is this fourth one, value of the data being accessed. So if you're looking up the definition of an acronym, this might be considered to be much lower in value than your corporate bank account details. So how did zero trust architecture even come about or why are people implementing it? Well, the answer ultimately, says the NCSC, came down to companies choosing zero trust out of necessity, often after an attack. So maybe zero trust is worth a look. And the NCSC has published guidance on zero trust architecture for organizations. And I would agree it's a great place to start if you're unsure whether it's the right option for your company. 
Plus, all the information is free. So, you know, why not? This was Carol Terrio for The Cyberwire. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dinah Davis. She is the VP of R&D Operations at Arctic Wolf. Uh, Dinah, it is always great to welcome you back to the show. Uh, I wanted to touch base with you today on this whole notion of reflection amplification attacks, sort of uh, get a little base level understanding of what these are all about. Can you help us out here? Yeah, so um, there are basically two different types of attacks combined together to make a super attack. Um, <laughs> what I like not to call so it. super if you're on the receiving end of it, no, right? No, <laughs> very not super if you're on the receiving end of it. So um, basically, it's a, it's a technique that's going to allow attackers to both like magnify the amount of malicious traffic they can generate and obscure where it came from. So, and this is most commonly used in uh, a DDoS or like a distributed denial service attack, where you're trying to just overwhelm the victim with with packets. So the reflection attack basically is the goal of that is to obscure the source of an attack. So what they do is they start sending a whole bunch of packets to a server and they spoof where it's coming from. So they change the IP address of where it's coming from to something else um, so that it doesn't look like it's coming from them. And... When we send mail, we put the to address and the return sender address on a piece of mail, right? And we right. As, we right. assume that you are actually sending it from the return uh, return address, right? Yeah. In, instead, what happens if you wanted to like if I wanted to like just make your house full of mail, I could I could send mail from all different places to a, a fake address and have the return address be your house and all of this bad mail gets returned to your house and oh. you then get flooded with bags of mail of the like Miracle on 64th Street kind of you know visualization there where Santa got all these all this mail right Right, right. And so it could have come from all over. You don't know. You don't know where this came from. They can't track it. The return address says your house. So it got sent back to your house. This Mm -hmm. is what they do with the IP address, right? So they send a request into a random server, okay, somewhere, anywhere, and say, I would like, I would like access to this. And it pings back 
to the return address that you have put in, which is not actually yours, and starts flooding that return address. Okay, so that's a reflection attack. Basically, it's obscuring the ability to see where that came from because the return IP address is is not the one it's supposed to be. It's the one that you're actually trying to attack, right? Right. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. So then you have an amplification attack, right? So what this is, is trying to either send way more messages than possible or with each message sending huge messages. Okay. So it's trying to amplify how much gets sent to the victim's, you know, address or servers and stuff like that, right? So, it, yeah, you're generating a high volume of packets to overwhelm the target site. So how do they do this? Basically, they send requests to those servers using their nice little reflection technique that's going to result in a large number of replies or multiple replies. Um, and this is often called the trigger packet. So we're sending this one and then it's like, wait, what do we do with this? And maybe there's a vulnerability that then, you know, causes it to send 50 messages from that one message like, oh, we have to check these all these things because of this message that just came in. So not mm. only are we spoofing it, but we're amplifying the attack by calling sites and, and things like that that are going to make it make either the packets really, really, really big or send lots and lots and lots of packets um, so attackers go looking for CVEs that can help them generate these amplifications they're looking for. And they combine those two together to create a amplification reflection attack. And the interesting thing that I saw, the reason that how I got into checking this out at all, was that in March 2022, attackers were able to leverage a vulnerability tracked as CVE 2022-26143. Very, you know that one, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it just um, rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, uh, and it was it was in a driver used by Mitel mm -hmm. devices. Okay, and so by using that that CVE, they were able to get an amplification attack where the ratio was about four point three billion packets to one. I'm sorry, billion with a B. Yes, billion with a B. Wow. Yeah, so that's what I so I saw that headline and I'm like, wow, this is interesting. Dave Dave's gonna want to know about this. And <laughs> and then I then I, so I did some research, but um I found that incredible, incredible. So I, I'd never really thought of looking at vulnerabilities before for just trying to DDoS people, like vulnerabilities that help you flood somebody else's sites, basically. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, interesting stuff for sure. And as you say, I mean this is primarily uh, focused on DDoS attacks. All right. Well, Diana Davis, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Tushar Richibadas from Barracuda. We're going to be discussing their findings detailed in their report, Threat Spotlight, Attacks on Log4Shell Vulnerabilities. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. 
Our amazing CyberWire team is Liz Urban, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.